Çadırımın üstüne şıp dedi damladı Çadırımın üstüne şıp dedi damladı It's time for the news from Back Home Magazine. This week's news is about making compost both from and for your garden. Each year, literally millions of tons of topsoil are lost to erosion and runoff into rivers and ultimately into the oceans. This loss of topsoil is directly related to the methods of agribusiness where acreage is tilled, turned, and left exposed to the winds and rains. It takes nature approximately 100 years to make one inch of true topsoil, and we're allowing it to be washed away at a far greater rate than it can be replenished. Fortunately, more and more home gardeners and farmers are learning that they can easily mimic the same topsoil producing process that nature employs by making their own fertile soil enriching compost. The basics of good compost are the proper mix of green and dry plant materials, soil, oxygen, and moisture. All those green leaves, stalks, and non-edible parts of a crop are typically rich in nitrogen in a prime addition to a compost pile. Many deciduous tree leaves are a great source of carbon, especially if raked and collected dry. Most Table scraps, like eggshells or leftovers from cooking fruits and vegetables, can be added to a compost pile. However, meats, whether raw or cooked, don't do too well in a compost pile. Soil is added because most soils contain the microorganisms that actually do the work of breaking down the organic matter. These microorganisms are called aerobic because they require oxygen to live and multiply. This is why it's so important to regularly turn and aerate a compost pile, in addition to wanting the materials to be evenly distributed as they break down. If your soil is poor in the proper organisms, or you want a fast start to your compost pile, it's possible to add bioactivators, a granular mixture made from the concentrated bacteria. Once your compost gets started, Regularly lifting and turning the pile with a garden fork is generally enough to keep the oxygen levels at the right point. Finally, the last critical component is enough moisture for the compost to keep working. In a summer where everything is pretty much bone dry, most compost piles will need some extra watering. During rainy periods, it might be necessary to cover a pile just to keep it from getting waterlogged 
because too much water will also bring the aerobic decomposition to a halt. Compost piles that develop a foul odor are nearly always lacking enough oxygen. As a result, anaerobic bacteria, ones that live in the absence of air, take over. One major byproduct of anaerobic bacteria is methane gas, and it's the methane and other byproducts that cause the odor. But a healthy compost pile has a sweet earthen smell, and the compost is a rich, black, crumbly, nutrient-laden fertilizer. The final results will take close to a year, but planning ahead is the sign of a good farmer and high-quality, made-in-your-garden organic fertilizer that doesn't cost a penny is a lot better than fossil fuel fertilizers that can get quite expensive. More information on composting is available from Back Home Magazine. Our phone number is 800 992-2546 or we're on the web at backhomemagazine.com News from Back Home is produced in cooperation with WNCW Spindale, North Carolina with support from AirCheck Incorporated on the web at radon.com Back Home Magazine is published bi-monthly in North Carolina south of Hendersonville on West Blue Ridge Road, just east of the old Flat Rock. For all the folks back home, I'm Ryan Doyle. Thanks for listening. And you are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. I, I've been doing this way too many years because I literally get stuck at that same point. <laughs> yeah, you get stuck at that point, and it's the let's bring back the circle again point. <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> yeah. I've just like been doing this show um, since August of '99, <laughs> so it's almost 15 years, right? Yeah. 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 So in in a couple weeks it'll be 15 years. I might have we might have to change the <laughs> promo because I'm getting <laughs> stuck on. Um, the circle is opening up. I get stuck on. Bring back the circle again. The circle yeah. of family, the circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. Or we need to record it so I don't have to say it every week. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're consistent, though. You are, at that part, you consistently <laughs> try to find it. It's just like, yeah. um, this is Orda Energy Mon. And this is Tree Song. I've actually been packing recently to move across town, and uh, I found... Oh, I thought when you said packing, they have the concealed <laughs> Pack carry the log. concealed carry. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's not funny, Teresa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It actually is for you. It's yeah, like, for me, it's a little bit funny. But, what uh, do yeah. you have in that belt pouch? There? Yeah, you never know. <laughs> I've got a sonic screwdriver, and I'm not afraid to use it. So, but, yeah, I was packing my belongings, and uh, I found an audio tape that's, I don't even, I, it's a really old Your Community Spirit audio tape that I've got to play and find out when it's from and all that. So, you know, back in the days when we used these things called cassettes. We used to record the show on cassette. Yeah, it was recorded on cassette. And then <clears throat> I also found one from probably half a decade ago on an old MP3 player. Uh, so, yeah, it's fun going down memory lane. Actually, there was a little while we did it on the mini cassettes because I was getting too many cassettes. Oh, yeah, I, I remember like, that, the mini cassettes. Yeah, it was just like. And then for a while there, I was just like, forget recording it. Then I started recording it on a laptop. And then... Um, what was it in the studio then i had one of those mini 
uh, disc recorders. Yeah. Then um, I forget uh, CDR. <laughs> yeah, it's the evolution of technology over the past decade yeah, and some. So. Yeah. And now we're recording it. I, I'm recording it with my psychic powers. <laughs> now I've got my computer at home recording it. I, I don't even have to do anything in the studio now. Yeah, so it records it, and um, then you put it on our website, yourcommunityspirit.org. Yeah. So if you're not listening now, <laughs> if you're not listening now, you can listen later. <laughs> yeah, it's there for the ages. It's just, you could be listening to this in the year 2200 on, oh, on some archive of the Internet. <laughs> that would be horrible. I mean, I well, don't even listen to myself again. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, And then we also podcast it, which means um, you can listen in the garden. <laughs> yes, the pea pods. So, scary stuff. While we sit here enjoying freezing cold winter temperatures, <laughs> the permaculture, the permaculture, the permafrost, <laughs> the permaculture is trying to take over the world. Yeah. The permafrost is melting. I'm in, melting, melting. In Antarctic. Oh, what a world. Things are getting dirty, ugly, filthy. Uh, no, wait, it just says ugly <laughs> on the Earth's underside. Oh, my. Antarctic permafrost, which has been weathering global warming far better than areas around the North Pole, is starting to give way. I just saw a thing in the North Pole that there is no, it's no ice right oh, now. Oh, yeah, that was one that didn't make it in here. Yeah, there's the North Pole camera. There's this famous camera that monitors right by the North Pole. It's surrounded by water right now because it's melting. Maybe you know? that's why it's so cold right now. Yeah. All of a sudden, you know, you know when you put ice in water, <laughs> it cools off for a little bit. Yeah. So that could be why we're having this chilly thing. Yeah, so the Arctic and Antarctic took our heat. <laughs> For a little bit. Yeah. So, um, okay. Scientists have recorded some of it melting at rates that are nearly comparable to those in the Arctic. Scientists used time-lapse photography and LIDAR to track the retreat of an Antarctic ice shelf over little more than a decade. They reported Wednesday in the journal Scientific Reports that the cliff was back-wasting rapidly. The permafrost that made up the cliff was found to be disappearing nearly ten times more quickly than was the case during recent geological history. And the rate of melting is picking up pace. From the Los Angeles Times, cliff face measurements of the measured ice in the four-mile-long Garwood Valley revealed melt rates that shifted from a creeping annual rate of about 40,000 cubic feet per year over six millennia to more than 400,000 cubic feet last year alone. That's a leap in the capacity of uh, about 808 standard railroad cars to 77. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a lot of railroad cars, a meltage. And um, they're actually finding out that the rising air temperatures were not to blame for it, but they think it was actually caused by the growing amounts of dark debris on the surface of the ice and snow that absorbed the sun's rays. Yeah. Now... If you look at satellite imaging, the dark images on top of the ice are pools of water. Tales from the dark side. You know, and so if you look at it, it looks like dark spotches. And what it is, it has a pool of water. That pool of water absorbs the heat. And then that pool of water basically drills down through the ice. Yeah, that's one of those feedback loops, like positive feedback loops. Not positive in the sense of we like it, but positive in the sense of feeding itself. Right. Like it heats up a little bit. You get a little bit of meltage. Then the water collects heat. 
and it melts more. Right. So before you know it, you just suddenly have yeah, everything melt. Ice reflects heat because yeah. it's white. Water absorbs heat because it's yeah, it's not clear. White. <laughs> it's clear. There you go. That's the word. <laughs> yeah. So um, why is this an issue? Well, ice that's not floating in the water, that's already displaced the water. Ice that's on land and it melts raises sea levels. Yeah. So if that starts melting to significant degrees, which it apparently is, then sea levels are going to rise. And if you've ever seen any map, they have uh, where now you can run a map of, you know, any place that's close to the ocean where it says, you know, six inches, one foot, two feet, what the town would look like. Yeah. Or city. I mean, they're not towns. Yeah, like I like New those. Orleans, New York, you know, if if there's six inches or a foot rise, how much of the city would be underwater? Yeah, I like those maps. I'd you also, do? Well, oh. I like them because they're informative, you know. <laughs> I don't like what's happening, but uh, I'd also like to see some kind of sea surge map because, like, they discovered with uh, Hurricane Sandy, like, water hasn't actually t- overtaken New York City yet, but the, the sea surge level is rising along with the sea level. So, like, when the storm hits, it used to be just below some of the areas, and now when the storm hits, it's just above. So even if you're not flooded immediately, then every time a storm comes, you're just going to get flooded again and again. So it was saying that it, it was ugly on our underside. Yeah, what about our top side? <laughs> I was like, this one sounds even uglier for me. Yeah, let's see what's going on up top. I think the Earth's got some sort of digestive problem here. <laughs> Arctic methane escape could cost $60 trillion. An almighty belch is building up deep... I was going to try to do one, but uh, I'm not <laughs> gaseous right now. Yeah, I don't have That's... a belch ready. I haven't had any soda. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's building up deep in the belly of the Arctic. And it's going to cost the world a pretty penny when it rips. As the Arctic continues that's to kind of melt... Po- that's kind of poetic. A mighty belch is building up <laughs> deep in the belly of the Arctic, and it's going to cost the world a pretty penny when it rips. Yes. Just imagine if you had to pay each time you burped. <laughs> but yeah, we, we may have to pay for this burp. As it continues to melt, a 50 gigaton reservoir of methane. I wonder how much that is. It's, it sounds like a lot. A gigaton. Yeah. Well, a ton is 2,000 pounds, and a gigaton is like a, a million? Is gigas a million, right? Uh, that sounds like a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of zeros. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot of, a lot of fart-smelling gas going out into the air. Uh, but, yeah, so methane trapped in permafrost beneath the East Siberian Sea will be released, perhaps steadily over five decades, or perhaps during one sudden grandfatherly burp. And that oh, will cause... those are nasty. Yeah, that's it. It could all go come in one burp, and you don't want that. <laughs> well, you don't want it either way, but one of them would be, you know, less problematic because it would cost less if it slowly comes out. Yeah. You know, I mean, you think about it. If you have small, you know, smelly burps or farts coming out, you can handle that a lot better than one big one. Yeah, one big one, it's going to hurt. <laughs> uh, who? <laughs> Everybody, Everybody in the room. Everybody in the room, yeah. They're estimating between $37 trillion and $60 trillion worth of damage. This was by researchers in a commentary published in the journal Nature. So it's not just it's not just you and me talking on the radio. It's people writing in Nature who say this. Yeah, it's a particularly potent greenhouse gas. Higher methane concentrations in the atmosphere will accelerate global warming and hasten local changes in the Arctic. <clears throat> That's that feedback cycle again. It gets hotter, the sea ice retreats. There's less reflection of the solar energy, and it may accelerate the melting of the Greenland ice sheet. 
Now, it's kind of hard to you know, um, conceptualize such large dollar values, but look at it this way. The world's gross domestic product in 2012 was estimated about $70 trillion. Yeah. So they're talking this could cost $37 to $60 trillion in damage. Yeah, so if it's at the maximum end of things, it's basically all of the work that everyone in the entire world has done for a year will just be wiped away by the results of this one event. That is one smelly... <laughs> yeah, that kind of stinks. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I do like... That's one reason I like this story is that it shares it in economic terms that make people understand it a little better. Because people sometimes think, oh, what do I care? You know, methane in the Arctic somewhere. I've never been to the Arctic. Couldn't you just get a giant antacid and drop it in there? <laughs> you could try. I mean, they've, they've, I've seen movies <clears throat> where they, you know, b blow up an asteroid in space. Yeah. Why can't they just figure out a way to drop a giant antacid into this pool of, <laughs> this stomach of... Um, methane. Guys. Yeah, this sounds like a good action movie for next summer. Bruce Willis, he's got <laughs> on this helicopter this giant antacid <laughs> to the Arctic. It would have to be really big. Yeah, we've got to get it there in seven days. Fifty gigatons of gas will take over the world. Yeah, a fifty gigaton antacid. It's like coming soon to an Arctic near you. Wild thing, I think I need you. Is that pretty good? I mean, <laughs> how weeds could save dinner. Who needs weeds? Well, in a climate-changed world, we all do. Wild relatives of potatoes, peas, eggplants, and lentils, among many other crops, are often thought of as weeds, but they could help us produce healthier harvests even as we face water shortages and other climate-induced challenges. Nature, it says Nature Explains. I think it's Nature Magazine. <laughs> Just like, Nature Explains. Hey, listen to me. Faced with climate change, plant breeders are increasingly turning to the genomes of the wild. Weedy relatives of crops for traits such as drought resistance and disease resistance. But a global analysis of 455 crop wild relatives have found that 54% are underrepresented in gene bank collections and that many, including ones at risk of extinction, have never been collected. Hmm. So the, the, the gene banks and the seed banks, they've only collected domestic seeds, yeah. not wild seeds. Yeah, and this is one of the many reasons why biodiversity is important. You know, I mean, it's important for its own reasons, you know, letting it live for itself. But then at a certain point when you've destroyed a good part of the planet and you realize, oh, there's a bunch of droughts. My crop isn't surviving drought as well. You may have to look to other plants that you're not currently cultivating. You go see my mom's garden and you swear she never weeded a thing, mm -hmm. but she actually plants and cultivates wild herbs like lamb's quarter and poke and um, anyway, a lot of stuff that grows prolifically and she actually saves the seeds and plants them the next spring and they grow a lot. I yeah. mean, um, you get a salad at my mom's and it'll have lamb's quarter and violet and plantain and, you know, maybe a little lettuce, but lettuce has no nutrition. So we <laughs> yeah. don't really tend to grow that. And Other it doesn't greens. grow, it doesn't grow except in cool weather. So basically you, you have a bowl of greens and maybe 20 to 40%, depending on the season, will be non-wild greens. <laughs> yeah. So, well, it sounds like your mom's an eco-superhero. Uh, yeah. Well, when the apocalypse hits, everyone in Carbonell will be looking for food, but she'll have it right there. She'll, she'll be serving up the weeds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, whenever I want my mom to educate me when we're walking around, I say, wow, 
that's a prolific weed. And she'll be like, that's not a weed. And she'll go off for like 20 <laughs> minutes on all the things that that weed could do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of the apocalypse, let's mention this one a little bit. No one knows how to stop these tar sands oil spills. Thousands of barrels of tar sands oil have been bubbling up into forest areas for at least six weeks in Cold Lake, Alberta. Oh, you just have to pump it away. <laughs> That's all. Just, I mean, just hook up a big pipe and run it all the way down to Texas. Yeah. And then you won't have to worry about it. I solved it. <laughs> you solved it. Oh, wait. That means it'll spread it all over the whole world. or you? Yeah. Okay. It, if you could that, get a vacuum to vacuum it all up. It's like, <laughs> just wet vacuum, you know. <laughs> well, they can. Just the hose tends to, I heard, get leaks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. You know, it's hard to contain this stuff. There was an underground oil blowout at a big tar sands operation. It was run by Canadian Natural Resources, and it's caused spills at four different sites over the past few months. It's different from another 100-acre spill in Alberta <laughs> that I think we may have mentioned on the radio show. Oh, that was that pipe that ran. That was a pipe. Yeah. This is underground. This is... Uh, it's, they've managed to get some photographs. They were trying, the governments and the company was trying to restrict photographs, but reporters got it from a government scientist. And it's, it's a lot of animals have been affected, like beavers and loons have died, uh, oily vegetation. Wait a second. Those are actual animals? Yeah. <laughs> They're out there in Canada. Okay. I thought loons were just crazy people. <laughs> well, there's a lot of loons in this story. Some of them happen to be birds. It's like. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, everyone, it, according to the quotes from the anonymous scientist, everybody at the company and in the government is freaking out about this. Quote, we don't understand what's happened. Nobody really understands how to stop it from leaking. Or if they do, they haven't put the measures into place. And this is, I have to study this type of extraction more. It's cyclic steam stimulation. They inject thousands of gallons of super hot, high pressure steam into underground reservoirs. And then it liquefies the hired bitumen and creates cracks through the bitumen flow. So basically they pump a bunch of steam into the ground where there's this oil pocket and the oil turns to liquid and they suck it up. But now it's crackling through the soil and they don't know what to do to stop it. So yeah, we will definitely, there's no off button for this because if it's coming up through the soil, there's no pipe to turn off. Yep. So They're just out of luck. All right. Well, with all that dirty water, maybe... We can use something to clean it up. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Well, tomato and apple peels can help purify water. Ramakrishna is our kind of guy, a Ph.D. student at the National University of Singapore. He has been coming up with a creative way to remove pollutants from water. He's using discarded fruit peels. He started with tomatoes. Because tomatoes are one of the most commonly consumed foods in the world, and when they're processed, there's tons of waste left over. Skins and seeds and fibers, oh my. Then he moved on to apple peels. Why? Just think of all the peels you could source from apple juice and applesauce factories. Here's how it actually works. When the peels are put in contact with water, they work like an activated carbon filter. They're absorbent, which means they attract and capture ions and other pollutants on their surface. It looks like he, he has added the fruit peels to water in a sort of tea bag and let them do their work. This process, of course, doesn't produce perfectly pure water, but it can help turn harmfully polluted water potable. He imagines this idea helping out farmers who live far away from large water treatment plants and would otherwise be drinking contaminated groundwater. And hey, maybe it'll give the water a nice 
apple-y flavor too. <laughs> How about a tomato-y flavor? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I want to try this. Yeah. You'll get one of those nice, fancy, flavored waters. Well, first of all, the... I have to get water that makes me sick. <laughs> and then yeah. I have to put apples in it and see if it doesn't make me sick. Yeah. I'm really scientific that way. It's a scientific method. <laughs> all right. Do we want to mention any holidays? Today is the anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yes, it's also the birthday of Aldous Huxley, the author, uh, Brave New World, among other things. And Independence it's Mick Day. Jagger's birthday too. Mick Jagger? Oh. It's also Mick Jagger. Wow, Aldous Huxley and Mick Jagger. This is quite a wonderful day for the world. It's like. Um, Psychedelic music is the product of that one. <laughs> Independence Day in the Maldives. Isn't that the first. That's the place that's getting underwater because of uh, the rising. Yeah, they're. Yeah, they got to celebrate it while it lasts because the Maldives might be underwater. Yeah, they're the first nation to um, die because of climate change. Yeah. All right, let's see some other. Oh, this one uh, I've got to. This one goes out to my friend Dan, Dan Reno, who's been walking around on stilts lately. Saturday is Walk on Stilts Day. All right. It's also. Take your houseplants for a walk day. So maybe he could do both of them together. Yeah. Hey, Dan, I like, let's get us a, a wheels on a plant. Yeah. Let, we, we have to have him do that. He's just slacking up. He might do it. Go to I'll... the farmer's market and be walking around, like, taking a plant for a yeah. walk while he's walking on stilts. But uh, Pixar didn't happen. That's what I say. <laughs> so I, uh, Sunday is National Chili Dog Day, and the anniversary of the Singing Telegram and World War One begins. Yes, and coming up on Monday, it's the anniversary of NASA. They're off exploring space, and coincidentally, it's the birthday of Will Wheaton, the actor who uh, who played Wesley Crusher on Star Trek. Um, next Thursday is Girlfriend's Day. And it says Ramadan. I thought Ramadan was already started. It says Ramadan starts next Wednesday. Ah, uh, yeah. This calendar is sometimes a little outdated with those holidays that change. Yeah. Like, it gets the ones right that are the same day every year, but if it changes days, it mixes it up. There you go. I think someone's not updating their database. <laughs> it's just like... <clears throat> All right, let's How see. How do you pronounce that on Thursday? Oh, yeah. On Thursday, it's Lunasa. Lunasa. Yes, it's a holiday. It's a harvest, the first of the harvest holidays, because it's the midpoint between the summer solstice and the fall equinox. So it's a day when things start coming to fruition. Thursday is also Respect for Parents Day and the anniversary of both MTV and the World Wide Web. Uh, <laughs> we got music and information and pictures of lolcats. Information? <laughs> Have you watched MTV lately? <laughs> Just like... Um, all yeah, right. there's more music on the internet than there is on MTV. <laughs> um, send us your happenings, info at yourcommunityspirit.org, and we will announce them. We will happen to make them happen by mentioning the happening. Yes, and happenings coming up, Taking Initiative, Nation of Heroes. This is a national documentary. They're touring Whoa. across the country, and it's coming to Carbondale. <clears throat> Carbondale gets some cool things. Yeah, there are people from the initiative. It's a it's a national activist group with about how many chapters is it? Uh, nine or eight or nine or ten. But they're traveling around in a van from California to New York, meeting people who are making big changes in their community, all in the name of kindness. It's about finding unsung heroes and shedding light on their stories in the hopes of inspiring other people to do whatever they can in their communities. 
So they're stopping in Carbondale. They're going to interview me. I'm going to talk to them about WDBX and Guy House and a lot of the community stuff going on here. So they're stopping in Carbondale. Carbondale is part of a national tour. Yeah, also coming up at Guy House is Open Mic Nights. Tonight at 7 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center. Express yourself in a comfortable coffeehouse-style environment. Everyone is invited. Um, Saturdays, the two farmers' markets, one on each side of town, one in the West Mall and one at the Carbondale Community High School. Um, lots of vegetables, lots of good stuff. Um, and then next Friday, the Carbondale Community uh, Friday Night Fair comes back for the fall series and we'll talk about that next Friday. So Yes, and coming up uh, a week, not this Saturday, but a week from Saturday is Family Day over at Guy House Interfaith Center. A lot of family activities, events, happenings. There's going to be a balloon artist. There's going to be music, food. It should be a good time. 913 South Illinois in Carbondale. What's music food? <laughs> music food. <laughs> it's food for the soul. There you go. That's pretty good. So I, I think this has been another exciting I think so. It's exciting and informative for us. Hopefully you learned something, too. <laughs> All right. We will see you again on the radio next week. This has been Your Community Spirit on Your Community Radio, and this is your... I don't know what else. This is your community. <laughs> there you go. So. We will see you in the future. <laughs> Why do you make it like it's a threat? <laughs> No, it's, it's dramatic. You know, it's exciting. We get to see you in the future. Time travel.